Is there a, would there be a church that would be with me this morning? I'm kind of done just playing games and just kind of going through the motions. But like Brother Robinette, it's time to manifest the kingdom. It's time for the church to mobilize and to move forward. And it's going to take some discomfort. It's going to take uh, some change. As a matter of fact, why don't next Sunday, next Sunday, why doesn't everybody, everybody sit in a different spot? Ooh. I just want to, I want to get you guys used to change. I want to get you guys used to maybe somebody else sitting in your spot. And why don't you come early? We ought to get used to coming early so you can get a seat. Amen? Early for prayer. Amen? So everybody sit in a different spot and bring somebody with you. Okay? Then, then that person won't get mad at you because they're not going to get mad at you in front of a visitor. We ought to just, we ought to, we, it's time to get used to change. Okay? Next Sunday, everybody sit in a different spot. That spot, I want you guys to say goodbye to that spot today. Okay? Just wave it goodbye. Brother Jonathan, no longer the back row. I want you guys to pick the opposite to where you're sitting right now. Is that all right? It's time to get used to some change. Because God wants to do a new thing. Amen. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. It's good to have everybody in the house of the Lord. Good to have our, our guests and our visitors with us. I don't believe that you're here by accident. I believe that God has divinely arranged you to be in a service such as this today. Because he has something very specific for you. Amen? Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter... James and John. Everybody say, Peter, James, and John. And his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And I'm just going to read that scripture. Just reading that scripture doesn't make, make much sense. But I want to preach to you this morning on Jesus' inner circle. Jesus' inner circle. Amen. You can be seated today in Jesus' name. I have observed and I have uh, concluded that in human nature, it is a very natural thing for us to want to be included into a group of people. Uh, we want to be accepted by others. I think that's a very natural thing. It's a natural desire, and this is very obvious and maybe more apparent back when we were in grade school. When you were in middle school, you really wanted to fit in. You really wanted to fit in with a certain group of people and be accepted by your classmates. And, and you, you, you take time to try to fit into a particular crowd or group of friends. This is a, a natural thing. And different things such as common interests usually determine the circles you run with. I know when I was in school, amongst the boys there was... There was really three groups, and there was hockey players, basketball players, and there was nerds. 
That's just the way it was. And you kind of, and we, we were all, we were all different within all those th- three groups, but you ended up hanging out with the guys that you had common interest in. And the basketball players in my school had an interest in drugs. And the hockey players didn't. That's just the way it was. But you wanted to fit in with a group of people. And, and of course, there's other different groups and organizations in school that sort of segregated you. And you ended up wounding, uh, spending time with a particular group of people. And as adults, we, we find ourselves involved with different organizations and groups. And, and uh, even our careers sort of network us together. And we're on committees and, and so on. And there are, there are even groups in, in this city being the capital city that there are groups of people that are the who's who of North Dakota. And that everyone, everyone at some point desired to, to be a part of the, if you will, the cool kids club. You wanted to be accepted. But I'm here to preach to you this morning on an inner circle that is much better It is much more intimate and it has a lot more depth than the groups that the world has to offer. This inner circle is where a relationship is formed that is not temporary and it's not contingent on materialism and the idols of the world. And it's the greatest inner circle that you can ever be a part of on planet earth. And it's the inner circle of Jesus Christ. This inner circle isn't based on any social or political group. Everybody is invited into Jesus' inner circle. We read of Peter, James, and John. And they were the first three disciples of Jesus. And they had been called... Uh, they, they seemed to have a special relationship with Jesus, and they, it seems that they were offered some VIP passes um, in Scripture, if you will. There were a few places that they went and a few things that they were a part of that the other disciples weren't. Um, Peter, James, and John, they even were given nicknames. And if you got a nickname, you know you're special. Maybe not. Sometimes you're given nicknames for the wrong reason. But Peter, Jesus told Peter, you're going to be called Cephas, or which meant stone. James and John, Jesus gave them this nickname, the the sons of thunder. They had nicknames as part of the inner circle of Jesus. And we can speculate that Peter was called Cephas because he would be transformed from an impulsive, wild, sinful fisherman to a pillar in the early church, that he would preach the first New Testament sermon, that he would preach Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And we can speculate that James and John were called the sons of thunder because of their fiery personalities. I know some people in this room who should maybe be called the sons of thunder because of their fiery, or maybe the daughters of thunder, because of their fiery personalities. I won't name any names. 
But we can speculate that they were called this because there was once a, a time uh, when they were with Jesus in a Samaritan village and the people rejected Jesus. And, and James and John got upset. And they wanted to call, they wanted Jesus to call fire down from heaven to destroy the Samaritans. And Jesus rebuked them for this and said, you don't even know what you're asking of. They were the sons of thunder, Cephas, a stone. And some say they were part of the inner circle because they, they had a special relationship with Jesus and they really understood who Jesus was. And we understand that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and we, you've heard me say before, but John was the one who wrote that in his gospel. Nobody, ever, nobody else wrote that. John wrote that about himself. And we can, we can, you can preach a whole message on that, that John understood that Jesus loved him. We kind of look at it like Jesus loved him more than the other disciples. And, but that's not, that wasn't the case. John just knew that Jesus loved him. And others say they were part of this group because they just needed some special attention. Kind of like the sibling in the family who always is causing trouble. And they usually are required to stick closer to mama than, or daddy than the other kids. And, and because of that, they're sometimes given some VIP passes because they're always with daddy. They're always with mama because they need some special attention. That could be the case with Peter, James, and John. Jesus is like, I need to keep a closer eye on these guys. They need to stick closer to me. But one way or the other, I want to be a part of Jesus' inner circle. I want to be close to Jesus. And, and today we're just going to take a closer look at some of these VIP moments that Jesus had with these three men. We look at the calling of Peter, James, and John in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And, and when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned under their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And for he was astonished and all that were with him and at the draught of the fishes which had taken. It's quite the fishing story. They had so much fish that the, the ships began to sink. The nets break. Verse 10, And so was also James and John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And, and Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. 
And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So we have the calling of God to these three men. They were commercial fishermen by trade. They were just smelly, unlearned, ignorant fishermen. They, they weren't considered high class, if you will. And, they, and later on in Scripture, people literally called them ignorant and unlearned. And they weren't knowing for their great study of the, of the Torah, if you will. But when it came to fishing, they knew what they were doing. And then this rabbi shows up and just gets in, in, in Simon's boat, says, push a little way offshore, and, and he teaches out of the boat. And after he was done teaching, he was basically showed up and he was going to tell Simon how to fish. This rogue rabbi was going to tell this fisherman how to fish. Don't you love it when people show up <laughs> to your job? And tell you how to do it. Nobody, nobody, nobody likes that. I love it. It's a moment for me to, to bite my tongue. It's that testing that Jesus was talking about. Swallowing my pride. But Jesus showed up. And he was telling Peter how to fish. And Peter, he said a little bit. Peter got a little in. But he, he, he bit his tongue, bridled his pride, and he says, nevertheless. He's like, well, listen, Jesus, we've toiled all night. I know when the fish are biting, okay? And we were out last night, and they're not biting. The barometric pressure's down. The fish are all in the shallows. Jesus, they're not biting right now. It's that time of year. And then Jesus is like, no, I don't think they're in the shallow. I think they're in the deep. I want you to go to, Peter's like, no, listen, I'm a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. I know where the fish are and when they're biting. But Peter said, nevertheless, at thy word. God's way, God's word always works. When he speaks, we ought to just believe it. Okay, it might go against everything that we know and have been taught, but just believe it. So when answering the call to Jesus' inner circle, to answer the call to a deeper walk, to answering the call of what God wants to do in your life, we've got to lose control of the things that we think that we know and say, nevertheless, at your word. Okay? He wants to, to break these things in our life. And we can say, listen, I've been down this road before. I have experience. One of my favorite answers when giving instruction to people is when they say, I know. I know. I, actually, it's not my favorite. It's my least favorite answer. Well, there, I had a guy working for us one time like, every time I said something, he's like, I know. And I'm like, finally one day, I'm just like, okay, if you know everything, why don't you be the boss and you tell me what to do? And that was a very fleshly moment, but it settled his answer towards me on I know on everything. But that's how we are when God is trying to push us in a direction. He's trying to pull us into a new place. We're like, 
I've been here before. I've got experience. I know what to do. But our answer should be, listen, I think I know some things, but I could be wrong. And God, if you have a different direction for me to go, despite what I know, I'm ready to go. Because God's word is true. Even if it's completely contrary to what we think, God's ways are right, even when it's against our way. Okay, And when, when, when God is pulling us to him, there's going to be things in our lives that he's asking us to do in places he wants us to go that are completely contrary to everything you've ever been taught, to every default setting, to every past path. And we've got to get to the point where we're like, all right, God, I'm ready to abandon these paths, paths. I'm, I'm ready to abandon these default settings. I'm ready to do what you want me to do. Nevertheless, at thy word. And thank God Peter threw the nets down. Because God is wanting to do a new thing in your life. Isaiah 43 and 18 says, says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye know it? He's like, do you see it yet? Are you seeing what I'm trying to do? I want you to forget about all former things because I want to do something new in your life. He says, I, I will even make a way in the wilderness, in rivers, in the desert. And you guys should read that whole Psalms. God wants to do something mighty in your lives, but we have to forget former things. There's old ways of thinking that have to go. There's old habits that have to go. There's the works of the flesh that have to go. In order for something new to happen, something old has to go. You cannot navigate the new path with the old way of thinking. You cannot do it. And that's probably one of the greatest hurdles to, to our, our walk with God is we try to walk the new path with the old way of thinking. It does not work. You will not make it to the destination that God wants you to when you're constantly looking in the rear view mirror. Jesus said you're not fit for the plow if you're constantly looking behind you. And I'll say it this way, you're not fit for the plow if your navigation forward is based on what's behind you. God wants to do a new thing. And he did a new thing on this day. There was a great catch of fish. It was probably the greatest catch of fish that they had ever had. This was the greatest fishing story that Peter ever was able to tell. And he didn't even have to lie about it. He didn't even have to stretch the truth to make the fishing story good, Brother Jerry. Brother Jerry has good one-liners. He has fishing stories. He told me the other day, he's like, Brother Paulson, he's like, the Lord, when he made the earth, three-quarters of it's water. He said, we ought to fish three, or work three days and fish four. He's like, you want me to preach the next service? I was like, Brother Jerry, thanks for that. I'm going to use it, but no, I don't want you to preach the next service. 
But there was a great catch. Their boats, their nets were broken. Their boats, boats were full, just about sinking. And at that moment of, the, of maybe his career, the highlight of their career, okay, Jesus called them to be fishers of men. He called them to join him, to follow him. It says that they forsook all, that they left their nets. The other gospel said that they left their boats with their hired hands. They left it with uh, James and John's dad. They, they just left the catch. They left the boats. They left the nets, and they followed Jesus. So today, if you want to be a part of Jesus' inner circle, you've got to be willing to forsake all. You've got to be willing to, to lay down your nets and follow him. And I'm not talking about quitting your career and quitting your job. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about leaving your past behind. Leaving the things of old behind. The things of the world. Those old ways of thinking have got to be forsaken if we're going to follow him. There's no way they could have taken their boats when they followed Jesus. There's no way they could have taken their nets with them when they followed Jesus. There's no way they could have done the work of God and also kept on doing the things of old. They had to forsake the old things. And the Lord is calling people in this place to forsake the old things because he wants to give you something new today. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Amen? So we look at the calling on their lives, and, and they, were, they forsook all. They followed him. They, they, they trusted his word. We read another story in Mark chapter 5. I touched on this a little bit this morning. But there was a lesson on, on fear and a lesson on faith that he was teaching his inner circle. Mark chapter 5 and verse 22 says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come. And lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. I like what Jarius said there. He spoke the word of faith. And she shall live. And then there's this story in between here. And that was a story we talked about this morning with the lady with the issue of blood. Because they were on their way to Jairus' daughter. And on their way there, this lady with the issue of blood came through the crowd and, and got on her hands and knees and touched the hem of, of Jesus' garment and virtue flowed and she was healed of, a, of an issue that she had had for 12 years. And, and Jesus did wonders on the way to the miracle. And like I said this morning, God is on the move. He's on a mission to do something. We ought to just get in, get on board. So we skip down now from verse 23 to verse 35, continuing the story of Jairus' daughter. It says, while he yet spake, interesting enough, while Jesus was telling this lady that she was made whole, while he was literally saying, go, you're healed, you're made whole, it says, while he yet spake these words, 
there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. So in Jairus' situation, he had, he had faith. He spoke the word of faith. He says, if Jesus, if you will lay hands on her, she shall live. That's a word of faith. He spoke it. When we speak in faith, God is attracted to our confidence in him. He's attracted to our faith in him and what he can do. It seems in every opportunity of a miracle, though, there is always an opportunity to doubt and to neglect the word which had already been spoken. It seems like when there is a, a moment of faith, there's always an opportunity to doubt. And that's exactly what happened here. Jarius spoke the word of faith. Jesus was healing this lady with the issue of blood, and all of a sudden, somebody came up and said, listen, your daughter's already dead. We continue reading on. I'm sorry, we're not going to continue reading on. It says in verse, in verse 30, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto, her, saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. So Jesus' response to this negative news was, do not fear, be not afraid, only believe. And I imagine that when this man came and, and said that his daughter was already dead, there was some thoughts going through Jairus' mind that maybe he should have came sooner and that Jesus was too late and, and maybe if he wouldn't have taken so much time with this issue of, with this lady with the issue of blood, he would have made it to his daughter in time that she would have been healed. I imagine maybe that was what was going through Jairus' mind, but Jesus said, be not afraid. Only believe. I'm here to tell somebody that your situation today is not too big for God. And despite what everybody else is saying, despite what everybody else is thinking, despite the naysayers, despite the whispers of the enemy, do not be afraid. Only believe. This was Jesus' response to a naysayer. This was Jesus' response to doubt. This is, what Jesus, this is Jesus' response to a, an evil report. He said, be not afraid. Only believe. And we see this all the way through Scripture 63 times from Genesis to Revelation. The exact phrase, fear not. 
is mentioned. Genesis 15, 1 to Abraham, God said, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. To Isaac in Genesis 26, says, And the Lord appeared unto him that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and I will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham sake. Genesis 46, God is speaking to Jacob and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt for I, for I will there make of thee a great nation. To the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 20 and 3, it says, And shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. To Joshua and Deuteronomy 31, be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. Uh, the prophets of God in, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 41 and 13, for I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. Over and over in Scripture, God says, be not afraid. Fear not. And we as the children of God, we have to learn to look fear straight in the eye and say, I defy you in the name of Jesus Christ. I defy you. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. When the whispers of Satan come, when the, when the wiles of the world start hitting you, you say, I will not fear. God is with me. I will believe the word of the Lord. On the way home yesterday, uh, Brother Robinette was telling me, this guy is a maniac. And he was telling me a story, like literally right, between, right before he got on the plane to the Philippines, which was the trip he made right before family camp. That was that time where like, there was a thousand Delta flights canceled because of all the, the thunderstorms in the country. So he was, he was all messed up. He couldn't get, out, couldn't get out of the country. He was like two days late. It was a big mess of flights. Well, he ended up finding himself in Atlanta, the Atlanta airport area, and he had to get a COVID test before he headed out just in case they needed it in the Philippines. So he went to CVS. He told this whole story. It was a typical Brother Robinette story, and the doctor, they have a little, obviously they have little doctor stations in the CVS where they can do a COVID test, and the nurse came in and you know, began to ask him why he needed this, and he, he just began to say, I'm going to the Philippines, and thousands of people are going to get the Holy Ghost, and just began to testify told her about his book, and she, she was just really interested. And she went to get the doctor at CVS and brought her in. So there's two ladies in the doctor's office, and, and the nurse said, you know, tell her what you were telling me. And, and Brother Robinette, for one hour, began to just testify of the good things of God. And uh, at the very end of the conversation, after one hour, I guess Brother Robinette's daughter was in the waiting room. And there was like a bunch of people lined up waiting to get in. And after an hour of being in there, the doctor looked at Brother Robin and said, if you could give me one word, one word of spiritual advice, what would it be? <laughs> and, he, and it opened up the floodgate. 
Brother Robinette says, you must be born again. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. You must be baptized in Jesus' name. You must be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. For another half hour, he preached the gospel message, and both those ladies received the Holy Ghost in that office. And Brother Robinette was, Aaliyah said, Brother Robinette told her dad, we could hear you in there. Dad, you were so loud. Everybody knew that I was with you, Dad. But he told the story. He, told, he, he testified. And I asked him after this. I asked him. I looked him square in the face. I said, Brother Robinette, do you ever doubt? Are you ever fearful? And he said, every time. He said, every time. And he said something to me that resonated. He said, it is not the absence of fear. It is the defiance of fear. He says, I look fear straight in the eyes with faith, and I believe God. And I feel like that's a word for the Lord for this church today because fear has overtaken some people. And fear, fear is a strong thing if we let it. But fear is going to be there. There's always going to be whispers of Satan. There's always going to be a little edge of doubt. And we as children of God got to learn to look at it straight in the eye and say, I defy you. I believe the word of the Lord. We ought to look at it in faith. Do you believe the word of the Lord today? Amen. It's not the absence of fear. It's the defiance of it. And this is something that we've got to get within us today. It's what we do when fear looks us in the eye. When the evil report comes, whose report will you believe? Amen. I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. I will not be afraid. I will believe the word of God. And like he preached the other night, this is all part of manifesting the kingdom. That every time one of those moments comes along where you have an opportunity to pray for somebody, and you want to know what, we're going to continue to pray for people in this church, but this ought to be not the only time that we pray for people. There's people sick, there's people dealing with all sorts of things all around us every day. It's time for the church to manifest the kingdom, amen, and look fear straight in the eye and believe the word of the Lord, amen. Just look it straight in the eye and say, I'm going to pray for you right now. Look it straight in the eye and say, I'm going to tell you about the gospel message that saved my life. Look at it straight in the eye and begin to tell them that God can deliver you from drugs. God can deliver you from alcohol. God changed my life, and he wants to do it for you today. Amen. I will not be afraid anymore. I'm going to believe the report of the Lord, the word of the Lord. It's time. It's time. It's time to go. It's time to move, not with fear, but with faith. I'm not going to be afraid. 
Jairus was just told that his daughter had already died. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Only believe. You, Jairus, you already spoke the word of the Lord. You already spoke the word of faith. You already said that if I will lay hands on her, she shall be healed. Believe the word of the Lord. Verse 37, this is where I was going to continue on. It says, and he suffered no man to follow him save Peter, James, and John, this inner circle. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult, and then that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The, dance, the damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And, and they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And it's so amazing how Jesus handled this situation. And I believe that he did it as an example for us. He was teaching his inner circle. He only took Peter, James, and John with him to Jairus' house. And he was teaching them how to handle fear and how to operate in faith. So when the word of fear whispers doubt and it begins to laugh in your face just as it happened to Jesus. What did he do about it? He said, you need to get out of here. You need to hit the road, Jack, if you will. He said, he said take your instruments of mourning. Take your little flutes. Take your doubt and be gone. He said, he said to this mountain, be thou removed. You have no place in here because we came here with the word of the Lord. We came here with a word. Jesus was there. He says, you guys need to get out of here. And it's really time to lay down this doubt. It's, it's time to, 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 to these things that are so easily besetting us, these weights, if you will, to just say, it's time for you to leave. Okay? It's time for those old things to leave. That old bondage, that old doubt, it's time for you to leave. Because we have a word from God. Verse 41, and he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, um, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded that something should be given to her to eat. He healed the girl in the face of fear. In the face of a, of a discouraging word, he looked it in the eye and said, be not afraid. And there's other stories that we could go through where Peter, James, and John were part of the inner circle. Of course, they were the ones that went with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. And they, they witnessed this great Shekinah glory of Jesus. And they seen Moses and, and Elijah on this great mountain. They got to see, they got a glimpse of the glory of God. And, and we read in John 1 and 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and, and dwelt among us. And John said, And we beheld His glory. 
The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and Peter speaks of this in one of his uh, epistles. He says in verse uh, 2 Peter 1.16, says, For we have not followed cunningly uh, devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were witnesses of his majesty. So there were some things that they witnessed. They witnessed the glory and the majesty of God. We could talk about how they were invited with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and that they witnessed Jesus' betrayal. And we could go through those inner circle VIP instances. And we, when we talk today about the following and the forsaking and the fear and the faith, and, and we could go further and talk about some of these other things. But the main thing today is we have sincerely, we've got to get connected to Jesus. Okay, we have got to, as Brother Robinette said, we heard it over and over this week, it's time to get in the Spirit. It's time to tap in. It's time to draw closer to God. We've got to position ourselves where God can lead and he can guide us and he could change some things in our lives. And, I, and like I mentioned earlier in, in the first service, I'm all about camp services and I do think there's something special about that. But we ought not to wait to, until camp service for God to speak to us. Amen. That's not the only time of year that you can repent. That's not the only time of year that you can feel that virtue flowing into your body. It's not the only time of year where God wants to convict you. But we ought to do that all the time in a constant state of being in the Spirit so that God can outpour on, He can, he can pour His Spirit upon us, that He can teach us and He can convict us. We understand that we've got to walk in the Spirit. We've got to position ourselves where God can teach us. And He can lead us and guide us. He's the best teacher. And like I said this morning, I, I love those moments where I had several of them this week where, where people came up to me and said, Pastor, you know, God, God really dealt with me week on on." with me this week on this particular thing, and God called me to this. And I, I love those moments. That's called being in the Spirit. That's called being in a position where God can change you, and you can do new things. And it's sort of easy to, to, be, um, ear, to have ear to that when you're at camp all week, and you're not dealing with work, and you're dealing with fleshly people. But we've got to get to the point that here, like that, was a little, that was a little training camp. Okay? At training, you don't really fight the real fight. <laughs> and we were fighting spiritual battles, or I understand that. But when we come back home, this is the true battleground. Right? So we've been trained all week. We've heard the word of the Lord. God spoke to us. But now we're in the real battle. And we've got to continue to be in that state of mind where God can talk to us, and God can speak to us and convict us in the Holy Ghost is where hearts are touched. In the Holy Ghost, it's where minds are changed. It's in the Holy Ghost where 
chains and bondages are broken. It's in the Holy Ghost where callings are heard and answered. It's, it's in the Holy Ghost where God can correct, where God can teach. It's in the Holy Ghost where true alignment can happen. It's in the Holy Ghost. It's in Jesus' inner circle. And when we get in Jesus' inner circle, when we put ourselves in that position, he can begin to change the things down deep. David prayed. He said, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. It's through the power of the Holy Ghost. It's God, God's Spirit. And this is why we get so excited. And we're adamant that people get the Holy Ghost. Because this is God living inside of us. This is what truly changes that We can't do it on our own. But when God's Spirit is inside of us, activated, it's when He can really give us what we need and he can align us. He can be our comforter and give us peace and joy. And he can become the source of everything that you need. It's in the Holy Ghost. He can become the fulfillment of all of our desires. It's in the Holy Ghost. It's in the Spirit that we can forsake, we can follow we can look fear straight in the eye with the lens of faith and say, I got a word from the Lord, and I believe it. And this is what God is calling us to today. He's calling us to remain connected, to get in the Holy Ghost and allow him to change us. Let's all stand this morning. I pray that today, and we're going to, the musicians can come, we're going to have an altar call. I pray that today, that there can be some commitments made, that we're in the Holy Ghost today. We're on a little bit of a mountain high from camp, like faith is high, we're excited about the things of God, but let's stay in that. Like, let's just stay in it. And you want to know what? Life's going to come your ways, come, come your way, like your bills are still going to be due, right? He didn't pay them all for you. Okay, you're still going to have to deal with that person at work. You still got situations in life, but we can keep the same lens regardless of what it looks like around us. And we can look these situations in the eye and say, I believe the report of the Lord. Amen. So I wonder if we would take a little time today come to the altar, and let's just, let's just get in the Holy Ghost. I wonder if there would be some people that would just really just, uh, just seek God and say, God, I want to remain connected to you. God, I want you to be able to speak to me anytime. God, I want your virtue to flow anytime in my life. God, I want to draw closer to you. I want to walk in the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, God, we love you today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit today. 
God, we thank you, Lord, God, that your word can teach us and can guide us and can lead us, oh God. Lord, I pray that this church today, God, that we would just learn to move forward, God, to face fear in the eye with the lens of faith. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus.